and the amount of times when we challenge athletes to make themselves a wee bit vulnerable, they stretch that comfort zone or they, they step outside what they thought there was a preconceived levels. Those things that make us human and form the cultures that we all play a part in now was somehow already part of our soul, right? Stick with me. I cannot teach anyone anything, I can only make them think. Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. We are kicking off a new series of the podcast. As we said in the last episode, we want to make the most of the time that we put into these episodes by talking at length about some of the areas in training and life that aren't discussed as often or in any great detail as things like running workout sessions, race updates and how best to train for a particular distance. So in that vein, we're planning to discuss creativity, our own thought patterns, diversity of thinking, collaboration and what we think we know versus what we actually know. We'll try and bring this back around into how it affects our running lives and how it may help us to perform better whilst finding more satisfaction and more joy along the way. I'll probably just ask James a few general questions today and out of that will likely come some of the deeper specifics we'll cover in the next few episodes. As you know, learning is an entity in itself, or as an entity in itself, is something that James works in as a career, so I'm hoping to learn a bit myself and at least have some good discussion and debate. So here's the start of Series 3 of the Pylon Ultra pod. Hi James, how's it going this week? We are getting ever closer to some kind of freedom from lockdown, eh? Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm really good mate, thank you for asking. Um, and it's tantalising, tantalisingly close. There's lots of optimism and positivity with, you know, the roadmap being shown on our way out, the um, the seemingly really good effect of the vaccines and just things like seeing our, our own folks, I'm sure your mum's the same and my mum and dad have had their jags and it just feels like normality, whatever that will be in the new world, is is around the corner, Paul. So I'm feeling really good. What about you? Uh, yeah, I'm probably less optimistic, but I think we've discussed that at length anyway. But um, I think it's just because I've been, I've, I've genuinely been in more lockdowns than anybody I know, I think. I've managed to time mine perfectly when I arrive back in France the day after a lockdown's announced, when I've come back here a day after another lockdown's been announced. So I've spent probably 13 months or 12 months certainly in some kind of lockdown just about that's what it feels like anyway so um i'm hopeful i'm looking forward to it but um i'm not counting my chickens yet until we actually get there and we can go and see the people that we care about and spend some time you know maybe doing some traveling and getting to some cool places that kind of stories about people who chase the sun it sounds like the lockdown's been chasing you around europe at times <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and the yeah. states so yeah yeah. Oh, well. oh yeah exactly yeah yeah so it's hard to believe that's just over a year eh? it, it, it is incredible and i think it's incredible when you when you start to reflect about you start seeing like facebook memories or tweets coming up saying you know three weeks and we're about to this and this time last year we were due to go on holiday to toronto with my mum and yeah. dad and louise's mum and dad and the kids um and it's like oh, we'll, we'll not need to cancel it should be fine by july <laughs> <laughs> little did we I know. 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 Little did we, we didn't know. put a year on that July. I think that was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But fingers crossed. There's I've seen lots of uh, 
holiday advertisements and stuff as well, which are obviously companies trying to boost their sales and stuff, but they must be feeling like something's going to happen this year for people, which is good. Indeed, indeed. Excellent, man. So um, maybe to start, I was thinking might be a good place to start around self-awareness um, to kick off this series, really. Um, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll dive in a bit deeper into some of the specifics and it might end up being a session in itself. But um, from my side of things, most of us, I feel that most of us don't really know who we are um, and we're more complex than we have the capacity to understand. So who we feel at any point is always intertwined in some way with who we think we could be. So we're not static we're not a static individual at any point. So who I am now is not who I'm going to be after we finish this conversation, for example. And I think most of us, certainly people that listen to this podcast or maybe take coaching and advice from us, believe that there's more inside of us individually than we've maybe yet allowed ourselves to realise or manifest. I think most of us walk around with a whole load of potential but it's often hidden because we find reasons not to take full advantage of the opportunity that life offers us. And sometimes that's due to circumstances, either maybe the mistakes that we make or stuff that's genuinely out with our control. But more often than not, it's through a lack of awareness, a lack of discipline or imagination and creativity and commitment, uh, which we'll go on to talk about more um, in future episodes. Um, so in terms of kicking off this conversation about awareness and creative thinking, I thought it might be interesting to ask ourselves and everybody listening at home at the moment or even when you're next out on your run, who could you be if you were everything you could conceivably be? So I guess a good starting point might be to talk about this self-awareness thing, James. How do you feel generally about self-awareness? Is it something that you actively work on? Is it something that you notice in other people? Do you see some people and think they're they're very self-aware versus somebody who's not? I think some people certainly appear to be less aware of their actions and their words and their behaviour than others. Or perhaps maybe... Maybe they are aware, but they decide that the impact on the people around them doesn't matter so much. Where where do you sit around the whole self awareness thing then? Um, I mean, it's the, the, that question you've posed there is a really deep one, and I hope people do take a moment to think on that because I certainly am on the on the back of this. But in terms of where I sit on the self awareness continuum, there's a bit about me as an individual and just about you know human beings um, in general. So. You mentioned, just to start at the end there, you mentioned something there about some people may not be aware so they don't understand their actions on others, the the yeah, biases yeah. they've got and how that impacts on others. And then you said there's some people who do and maybe don't care. And that, that second one is probably even more dangerous than a lack of self-awareness because a lack of self-awareness can usually either be a... Um, it can be a defence mechanism because you've, mm-hmm. you're fearful because fear can drive that lack of self-awareness. Um, where you're scared to expose yourself to the reality of who you are or what you think or how you think because of what it might mean and how you actually might view yourself. Um, and, and that, you know, that that's fine. For others, it can just be blind spots. But if you're actively going in with uh, awareness but still doing, let's call it disagreeable acts, for what, for want to use a better phrase, whether that be your actions, your thoughts, or the things you, you put out into the world. But there's, there's some really nice stats I'd like to share on this because I think it really brings some context on it. Because... Mm-hmm. Self-awareness is just two words. Sometimes we, we use the phrase self-efficacy. Sometimes we just use that yeah. self-control. Whatever it might be. But fundamentally, it's like knowing yourself and the who. This is the first series, um, the first time in this series I've managed to get a music reference in. The who, I've got a line <laughs> in a song that goes, I don't even know myself. 
And everybody, I believe, should start with that in mind. I don't even know myself. And, and the reason for sharing that, couple of, couple of stats. Stat one, 90% of people believe they have great self-awareness. But then when you do a study on these people, and this has been done through university-level studies, I think Harvard did this, um, only about 15 to 20% truly have what you would regard as good self-awareness. You know, so they know themselves, they know their habits, they know their biases. And that's really mm-hmm. interesting when you see that coming out. And then the other brilliant stat on this is is 85% of drivers think that they are better than the average driver. Now think about that for a minute. How can the majority be better than the average to that scale? It's not true, but it's that whole thing where we tend to think up and big up some of our capabilities on things where there's an element of ego associated with it, like that, I'm a good driver. And it wouldn't surprise you to know that men over-index on that over women as well, because, you know, it's like, you, you, growing up, you would have had people with the bias about, oh, there's women drivers and all that kind of thing. So you, these some of these biases and this lack of self-awareness ends up just being inherent in the culture in which we, you've grown up in. But just to start is, is studies tell us that human beings in general have a serious lack of self-awareness on a number of scales about their capability, their biases, their thoughts, their skills, and a whole manner of other things. And if we can start with accepting that we may be one of those people in that majority, I think we can start to work on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult concept for some people, I think. And um, maybe even from your own side then, James, and your own self-awareness, how, how are you able to determine uh, what your own level of self-awareness is? And, and if you are able to do that, how do you think it's helped you to to make some progress either in your career or your running career or how has it held you back? So that's a good question, right? So let's start with how you're able to measure it in yourself. <clears throat> so the, the first, there's a couple of things that really kind of, I think can cause a serious lack of self-awareness is one is, is by putting yourself into an information bubble, which will really come out when we talk about diversity of thought in particular. When you put yourself mm-hmm. in an information bubble and I don't mean an echo chamber, because an echo chamber is slightly different, right? Because you're kind of in there and interacting with other people, but actually sometimes our social circles lend themselves towards that because of where we come from and the people we know and grow up with. And that can be okay, but an information bubble is when you actively seek to block out things that are divergent to your view. That in itself will blunt your ability to assess your own self-awareness because you won't know, for example, that you might think slightly sexist or racist thoughts and I'm being a wee bit controversial with the words I choose there but that's the kind of thing that will come out um, and then what that lens tends to lead is there's two ways to get away from that because you can't measure self-awareness in an individual in a moment really easily it's not like a right, I can score you out of 10 because I can like I can measure like on a Garmin the way we do with pace and tempos and yep. intervals but you can I think we can all be a wee bit more self-aware. And I think there's two traits that help towards that. And I've, in the latter part of my career, and particularly when I took up running, I dialed these up massively, which was one, to make myself vulnerable and lose the um, the allergy of making mistakes. You know that, oh, I won't make any mistakes because by making mistakes, I, um, I, I look stupid. Um, but rather than going, rather than worrying about that, I'd make myself vulnerable and go, I'm sitting in a, a, a group of people who might represent a series of views or thoughts that I don't necessarily chime with, but actually I might be the one that's wrong or I might be the one that needs to kind of, 
adapt my thinking. So I'm going to be vulnerable and go, I don't know if I agree here or I don't know if I understand the full argument and can someone help me? So that 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 there and then use your community. And the second one, and it kind of links to that vulnerability is just be super, super curious, right? We talk about this a lot and I think this is really important when it comes to your running. Um, if you're super, super curious and you're asking questions all the time, then the chances are you're going to increase your awareness because you're just increasing your knowledge and the pool of information you have to draw from that will help you um, make sense of the world and make sense of yourself. And then how that plays through into your running, think about it logically. Um, we talk about it a lot where you might say to an athlete, you know, putting yourself vulnerable might be just to go that wee bit harder in a race or in a session than you know or you think that you're capable of. And the amount of times when we challenge athletes to make themselves a wee bit vulnerable, they stretch that comfort zone or they, they step outside what they thought there was a preconceived levels. That's their physical levels, but actually when it comes to awareness, when we're talking about biases and stuff, that's just their kind of, if you like, their psychological levels. It's ultimately the same thing. You make yourself vulnerable, open yourself up to mistakes and getting it wrong, but be willing to learn from them. I think you can increase your self-awareness and can increase that efficacy. And then if you're curious, because you're analysing it and you're thinking about it, and then you're seeking out new information and then you're asking yourself difficult and new questions, you're just going to sharpen that awareness over and over again. But if you're curious from a running sense, you might go down different routes. And in fact, Paul, this very week, you challenged us and your kind of coaching pool to do a session out with where your habits had taken you to. So I, I ended up going, well, I, I, I've avoided this hill for the last couple of months because it's boggy and wet. And now I've been up mm-hmm. it three times this week because I'm like, why was I avoiding that? I love this hill. You know that way, mm. but I, I, but I wasn't aware that um, it was actually probably habit and laziness that was causing me to avoid it. It wasn't really because it was muddy. I just didn't want to get my shoes dirty. But the reality was is I was blunting my curiosity just by getting into that lazy inertia of doing the same thing over and over again. And if you do that, you think the same way as well. So you've got to always challenge both your thinking um, and be open towards criticism and make mistakes so long as you're doing it with the right intent is, I guess, where I would come from on that. And that can roll into your running because if you're doing something with the right intent to find out your limits, then the reality is is you're probably finding out your limits are, you know, better or faster or longer than you previously thought they were. Yeah, that's an interesting one, James, actually, about, um, it sparked a thought there about curiosity. And, and we've talked quite a lot about that. And I think you did a presentation that talked about it quite deeply at one of the Pylon Experience events and the importance of it and stuff. And actually, what sits alongside curiosity, and I don't quite have this formulated in my mind exactly, but um, there's a word like peculiar, right? So peculiar's got these kind of negative connotations if you say to, about somebody that they're peculiar, is actually somebody who's celebrating the things that make them unique and individual. And it almost sits alongside curiosity. So it's, yes, I want to find out about other people and I want to find out about different ways to do things, but I'm actually, I want to express that I'm different from everybody else and I don't want to be the same as everybody else and I shouldn't feel like I'm forced into that too. So they almost sit side by side for me um, and, and they can both feed off each other. The second thing for me is, how do you actually score yourself then, James? Out of 10. Uh, and from a, a self-awareness point of view, on, on a good day, on a good day, I would I would say I'm probably somewhere in and around average. So let's say average is five, right? And just pick the middle. I'm pr- I think I'm a wee bit yeah. more aware than others, partly because of the 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 luck of the the role I do and the learning I've had to do as part of that role. But I every day, every day, um, I I get stuff wrong, and I, I'll celebrate that. I actually just come off a call before this one. 
and I was talking to someone who's new into the, the organisation and I said to her, I says, if I don't make a mistake, I've not done my job that day. Because I think that curiosity and that helps you build that self-awareness. And see, it took me maybe three years to have the confidence to say that because I wanted to be the person who made mistakes because it helped me grow. But I was yeah. scared to talk about it like that in case people seen it as being some sort of slapdash, you know, some mothers do have them type character just walking about wrecking the camp. <laughs> I don't mean it like that. Um, and a good yeah. example is, is I was on a, I was on, I had to do a presentation for International Women's Day um, for a couple of teams in our organisation. And um, I went on to the first call and I'm on there with 20 women who are all brilliant individuals. They're really, really good and there's loads of things they wanted to hear. And I was just in talking to them about a, a couple of kind of concepts um, that we were working on. And I opened up with, how you, how you guys all doing? And I'm like, right away, I'm like, I, I pulled myself up, right? And some would argue you can use guys, some would argue you can't. But I'm thinking, I'm talking to a group of women on International Women's Day and I'll come up with how you guys doing. And I just called myself out in that moment. Whereas if I wasn't vulnerable and willing enough to basically go expose your own, expose your own folly, because I'm self-aware about actually making that mistake, but I'm also self-confident enough to know that the world will allow you to make those mistakes so long as you learn and you've got the intent to grow from it. Um, so we, we do it all the time so even though I think I'm self-aware there are times when I fall over my feet all the time so I'll give myself a six where are you Paul? I don't know like I still have this thing in my mind then about um, if if you are very self-aware does it automatically make you a better person because it's going back to my earlier point that you can unless you change your actions on the back of the awareness that you now have then you can stay as the same person ultimately and, and still make some unpleasant or unhelpful decisions maybe that affect other people in a negative way and you've act actively made that choice. But um I, I don't know. I, I would I would think I was above average, but um I, I have some people around me who might disagree with that. So um I guess it's like you're saying it's it's never static and that's even if you get to a point that you feel you're relatively self-aware and you're aware of the emotions and the stories that you tell yourself um, it changes, it fluctuates in a day I suppose um, and, and if you yeah, think I mean, about it Paul, if you think about it ultimately it's just information and the point you're making there is, is then how are you um, how are you using that information so the example would be is, is you know you're a physicist and you're coming up with great ways to harness energy but you create a neutron bomb is that the best yeah. use of that information? And, you know, yeah. not want to liken self-awareness to, you know, Nagasaki or Hiroshima, but the, the point is broadly the same. It's how you choose to use that information gives value to that information for you and others around you. So, yeah, being self-aware is great, but if you're self-aware and you go, I love being a serial killer, then, you know, that's that's not great. Um, who'd have thought we'd have been talking about <laughs> neutron bombs know, and serial killers? Where is this Apologies, going? everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I guess for me, it always comes back to like you can do a lot of work and you can make a lot of effort to be inspired about things that you want to achieve and stuff. And unless you take action and you take the next best possible step, then it doesn't matter. You know, you can do all that thinking and all that stuff in the background, but unless you're actually acting or changing how you do things, then. Um, it doesn't really have the impact that you would, you would want it to. And you know, we'll probably get into it in a, a later episode in this series, but I think intent really starts to play a part in that, isn't it? So what's your yeah. intent of this yeah. information and how you intend in using it? So for example, when you were asking how self-awareness can help your running, my intent of becoming more self-aware as a runner 
um, whether it be getting into my data and understanding it, challenging you on some of the sessions, just being curious about why I was doing what you were asking me to do when. And I had a really good conversation with an athlete just this morning about the plan they have towards a race. And um, rather than just getting a text conversation, we, we chatted for 10 minutes about the information. And I, and I actually said to the athlete, as, the best thing about it is, is you're really curious and you ask, which tells me you care. And now we can use this information better to, you know, plan out your next few weeks. And, yeah. and I guess my point, my point in all of that was, is as soon as I became more curious, asked more questions, I became more aware of my potential and my limits and also my, the awareness of what I could do in running was way beyond where I thought it was previously. So it's how you then use information. I use that information to work harder and inspire myself rather than um, to rest on my laurels. Yeah, so actually you end up doubling down on it. Um, so you're absolutely right. It's information. It's how you use it. But then also how you harness it for, in my mind, you want to harness it for good. Um, for whether it's for yourself or for society in general but if you can harness it for good for for yourself and others i think that's brilliant okay i don't want to get too caught up in self-awareness it's probably something that we'll spend more time talking about yeah in in the next couple of sessions um so i wanted to maybe get back to this idea of people walking around with this untapped potential inside of them so socrates believed that all learning was a form of remembering right so those visual and creative works and stories that are unforgettable to us and have been part of what's been passed down to us those things that make us human and form the cultures that we all play a part in now was somehow already part of our soul right stick with me uh, and when we're born all previous knowledge is forgotten and then can only be remembered and re-triggered by actual lived experience which all sounds very out there now but as a concept you could take it as there's lots and lots of potential inside us lots of our minds and bodies are capable of doing but it always lies dormant without new experience right and for me that seems to be one of the biggest challenges right now at a time when we're effectively banned or at least it's frowned upon for us to seek out new experiences at least new experiences outside of our homes anyway so i wanted to ask you really about how um best you manage and use your mind and the whole environment around you so the people and your social circles and the creativity that you can find around us to maybe unlock some of that potential that we all have and and maybe being able to step away from the stories and the biases that many of us believe to be true or to be useful. Oh, um, Socrates, we're, we're getting deep. Um, Socrates um, actually could be a good lead into the, the thinking on this, actually. And this is what an, another thing says, because obviously he's a brilliant philosopher, but it was, I cannot teach anyone anything. I can only make them think. Mm-hmm. And that's the start point here is, is, is how you think. Um, and we've used this phrase a couple of times um, in presentations um, and what have you um, but you think you're experiencing reality but you're only experiencing your thinking and I'd, I'd make no apologies mm-hmm. for mentioning mm-hmm. that again because it's so important because your thinking underpins the reality you work within so let's just talk a wee bit about you, you talk about how you harness the, the stuff around you the first thing you have to do is disrupt your thinking I believe um, because we, we, are, we are habit machines um, and we shouldn't lose sight of that our habits are what mm-hmm. allow us to breathe easily our habits are what allow us to survive the day without being overwhelmed by um, decision paralysis because our habits mean that we don't need to think about things that would just genuinely would overwhelm us 
Like Zuckerberg wears the same gear every day to basically so he doesn't need to make a decision on what to wear because he wants to limit the, the, the time he spends making decisions on things that he thinks are facile. I think that might be a wee bit extreme. But actually, Barack Obama done something similar. Um, he, I think... Steve only, Jobs was the first guy to do it, I think. Was he? Yeah, so you can no. see a pattern, right? And Obama done the same thing in the sense that he only had a, a set amount of suits. He might have had multiple versions of the same suit, but it was a black or a grey suit or something like that. I can't remember the detail. Because what they don't want to be doing is making decisions on trivial things. Um, and sometimes triviality stops us getting to the things that can truly help us be creative and collaborative because we get bogged down in the, you know, what kind of sauce they have with your dinner. Um, so there's a few things on this I, I, I want to share. And it, I guess because this is a setup, called, um, a setup pod for the, the, the stuff ahead, we will go deeper into this. Habits, 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 habits can be a massive friend, but can also be the thing, the number one reason for us to not realise our potential. I believe, because habits create comfort. The habit might be running the same route often, avoiding the hills like the example I gave earlier on and when it comes to your training, or just using using the same information, being in that echo chamber where you own, or that information bubble where you only draw in the same information all the time to reinforce your beliefs, your habits and your rituals. And we, we as humans, uh, can I want to make this point, is we've got about 10,000 decisions we make every day, something like that. But about 95 to 97% of them are habit. So that might be putting your left sock on first when you get up in the morning. It might be brushing your teeth with the, if you're right-handed on the left-hand side first, and then if you're left-handed on the right-hand side first. These things you will do by habit time and time again. 227 of those 10,000 decisions and thoughts we have every day are about food apparently as well. Mm. But the more of them that we do unconsciously, if we allow things in there, to just become habit that just help us coast, then we're not challenging ourselves enough, which brings you to the diversity of thought point because habit tends to come when you spend, or, or habit and laziness, if you like, about not changing the habits, tend to come when you spend a lot of time on your own, thinking on your own and not consuming alternative thinking or thought, whether it be in conversation, reading, watching, listening, whatever it might be. Um, and... The example, the example I'd give on this, right, and this is again being done in tests and studies, it's one I actually use in a, in a work context a lot. We get a really complex problem, it's a kind of complex puzzle if you like, um, and we, we basically have 13 of them in a sheet, and we give that puzzle to 13 individuals, and we say to those people, solve this puzzle, you've got 10 minutes, solve all of these puzzles, and the best score I've ever seen is 4 out of 13. Mm-hmm. Right, best score I've ever seen is 4 out of 13 then when we pair those people up so there's two of them in there but we make sure we pair people who are a bit different in terms of their thinking and their thoughts that score doubles and then when we get to the point where you get five of them together you know because you keep basically you're making a point here about diversity of thought and thinking you can break habits and your your own kind of lack of of awareness and your lack of you know peripheral vision once you put five of them together, they almost always got all of them right because someone else will have a view on the problem that hasn't been shared yet. And so what we tend mm-hmm. to do is this, we, we bring them together and go, right, you know, now you start collaborating on the problem and b- before you know it, you just start to see this exponential improvement in performance. And and I guess when, when it comes to our habits, if we're not challenging our habits, whether it even be the, the food we have before a race or, or the... Um, the um, you know the 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 gear we wear or, or or the way we think, 
the chances are we'll kind of reach a plateau and never move from it. You might not be at that plateau yet um, because of you, you've got space to growth, but once you hit that plateau, you kind of do need to change something, otherwise you will become stale and just regress ever so slightly. It's a tricky one though, isn't it? Particularly at the moment because there's, I don't know, if you go on Amazon at the moment and do a search for self-help books related to habits and the power of habits, there's probably, I don't know, 50, 50 responses of different books you can read and the power of habit and all that stuff which we know about. And now we're effectively saying that if if you have habit in every part of your life, then you're actually doing yourself a disservice you know you're switching off um from the opportunity of um diverse thinking or even recognizing that in other people but i guess what you're saying is we we have a limited bandwidth in terms of decision making don't we like yeah, yeah. We, we can we can only make a certain number of key decisions in any one day otherwise it's it's it, it runs out it's it's not an infinite resource which is why people like steve jobs doesn't want to waste that on picking you know, whatever he's going to wear before he goes into the office when he was still alive, obviously. You're absolutely right. And and again, you're right on the point here is, is in, in everything we talk about, the biggest thing that, and, and I cannot counsel people listening to us enough to be, to be aware of, there is no black and there's no white in any of these conversations. It's all grey. And it's just how deep you want to go into that ambiguity is where the fun will be. Because habits are absolutely essential for us to live. Without a habit, we would have to go breathe in breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And, you know, there's some people who can't do that because of how they're, you know, because it might be some sort of disability within their mind or what have you that means that they have to be on oxygen, right, to help them breathe because they can't do that. You know, you get that. And and, and habits are extremely, extremely important, but you do have to challenge the ones you've created. Um, and even if you do have a habit you've created that's a powerful habit, like I read every morning because that's when I learn best, I do believe that a habit left unchecked can become stale so you might do like for example i might do the same 15 minute stretching exercise every morning you go that's a great habit you stretch every morning but i'm i'm actually using that 15 minutes truly effectively because i'm stretching the same muscles the same way every day eventually they'll become less responsive and the same works for your mind yeah i think it's definitely one we should talk more about because i i can see it from both sides really um and then it's maybe 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 we're confusing things with you know the benefits of of positive habits like doing your mobility regularly or doing some kind of meditation practice or whatever and when you can embed that as a habit then you get more benefit from it because uh, you're committed to it and you do it longer term and it's a cumulative effect um in the end so yeah I, i think it probably we need to talk a bit more about it because you don't want to lose that opportunity of of diverse thinking and and seeing that in other people and being able to challenge the the way that you do things you're absolutely right but where you would go then is i think there's establishing the habit and then there's embedding the habit and then you enhance the habit i think that's that's kind of where you you would think about going yeah 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 okay um something else you talked about there uh, which i was quite keen to get into um which was really about uh, collaborative working and you kind of touched on it there and the habits part of it but i find um sometimes particularly in a work environment for example lots of workplaces will say oh yeah we're really into collaborative working or whatever but it feels to me a lot of the time like it's more just lip service rather than any kind of foundation of how they work as a business and i'm thinking back um when i worked for a big creative agency in london 
there was only one guy who really tried to embed it into his role. So his role basically was he facilitated any of our kind of key brainstorming sessions for any of the pitches that we were going into or any of the big campaigns we were working on. And he would deliberately not fill a session with people just from the creative department. He would rather have people there who maybe worked in reception or looked after the building or someone from the finance team or the production or procurement departments and have a real mix of people. So my question really to you then is about how can you set yourself up to benefit from collaborative thinking and work when ultra running in itself is predominantly a solo endeavour? Is it something that is worth talking about for us in terms of being better humans, being better athletes? And do you think it can really help you longer term? You know, yes, um, I think collaboration and the, the pulling in information from a multiple different sources, whether that be in a creative session like you would have at an agency that you've just described, um, or whether that be in just in, you know, mentorship, one-to-one conversation. Listening to this podcast, you could argue, is an act of collaboration um, in the sense mm-hmm. that we're collaborating. It's just not live in the moment collaboration so in, in many ways I'm hoping that people listen to this and go I've collaborated with Paul and James and they've helped me maybe think about something slightly differently whether it changes your outcome it doesn't matter even just the, the act of you know making that conscious change is good and if you think about it ultra running is in theory quite a um, solo pursuit in terms of the act of the race because in the main you kind of go out and run your own race we usually race mm-hmm. over extremely long distances in remote locations um, and then that therefore ends up meaning that you end up with not a lot of people around you, so you end up on your own. But then you look at something like the Big Backyard Ultra and you see, you know, the last two runners slugging it out, trying to help each other lap to lap and they call the, the person who finishes second last or doesn't finish second last, the, the second last per- or the last person to fail to complete a lap, they call them an assist. And that's collaboration in a way as well. Um and I think when you think about it from an ultra run point of view, I think collaboration happens, but it tends to happen not necessarily on the field of play, but off the field of play on social media, um, where people are always really ready to share. Um, and you, you know, you'll get a private message from someone, Paul, and you wouldn't think twice about replying to them with some encouragement and hope. And that, in a way, mm-hmm. you're collaborating. So I do think there's value in it, but I think it, it's it's slightly different from that forced collaboration you get in the workplace where you get scrum masters and agile squads pulling people together and (laughs) and they start you you know they use language like you know we need to bring someone in with this perspective and you start psychoanalyzing people to make sure you've got enough red and greens and yellows and you're like yeah just get someone from the front line who actually knows the job and get them to give you a view but yeah Yeah. so I think I think collaboration and ultra running is probably more organic and widespread than we even realize but you never take a moment to think about it because we tend to think about the, the pursuit of the event rather than the, the kind of some of the whole sometimes even just like Adam who was it that told me the story I can't remember it, it, it might have been um, John and Stephen you know the guys over at Young Hearts Run Free podcast yeah. and they were telling yeah. a story and they rocked up to a, a, an aid station at the devil and it was you and Debbie Martin Kinsani and a couple other people and they felt they were in the, the company of the gods um, because you, you know <laughs> people who do like great things in ultra running, you're just like, no, I'm just helping make this event happen. Because why wouldn't I give my time back? That's collaboration. Yeah, right? I guess so. And I guess it's no different from having a training partner or going out on a long run with a bunch of friends or turning up to some training weekend. Even the pylon experience thing is a collaborative event, isn't it? We're all getting together and and we're all talking about 
issues that we've had when we're running or we're talking about things to try or different ways to train or whatever. So I, I guess it is quite quite a big thing in ultra running. It's just maybe not the racing itself. But likewise, um, we've all been in places and races and we've worked together with someone, you know, that you might be feeling tired at a certain point or you run together for 10 or 15 miles. And, and in some ways that's a collaborative effort, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I, I ran um, the Autumn 100 and I think it was 2017, 2018, um, 2017, I think. And Paul Maskell was running the race um, and Paul and I were slugging it out. He was first, I was second. No, was I first? And he was second, whatever it might have been. But either way, we passed each other and I was being sick. And Paul stopped and gave me salt tablets. Um, and yeah. he said, they, hopefully they'll help you feel better. And they did. And then when I got back into the aid station, like 15 miles later, you know, he'd left half a dozen salt tablets for me. That's the kind of of collaboration you get in ultra running, even though it might have been to Paul's detriment from a race result point of view, from a human endeavour and a society society point of view, there was no question I'm not doing that. And that's always stuck with me as an act of human kindness and selflessness that I think you get, that I think drives that kind of collaboration and, you know, I guess that desire to see each other succeed, which I think is really, really healthy. Unless it was a couple of laxatives, James, of course. (laughs) You know what? The last 25 (laughs) miles felt that way that day. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Oh, dear. Nice one. Okay. Um, Is there anything else you want to talk about just now? I don't want to go too deep on anything because we'll probably dedicate some of those topics that we've gone through today. We'll probably dedicate um, a particular episode to and we'll probably go away and do a bit of research and maybe come back with some slightly different thoughts on things and um, kind of debate it out, I think would be a good way to go. You know, there's there's probably, I, I probably have a, a question, I've got one question for you, um, I've probably got a call out for anyone listening to say, um, if there's, some, there's a subject that you think Paul and I can talk about that can help, um, we're willing to collaborate on bringing that together for um, people that are listening, so please feel free to drop us a line with what you think that might be. Um, and then I, I kind of wanted to just make this point because you talked about my involvement within learning and I think learning underpins a lot of the mindset stuff so given this is the first episode I want to just make a point about how we as adults learn in four simple steps for people to think about whether they play enough time in this space so if you'll indulge me Paul I'll, I'll just take a minute to explain I it I certainly will, go for it Point one is learn every day consume some sort of information every day that might be listening to a podcast it might be reading an article of interest it might be watching something on tv that might be educational as opposed to you know some person baking a cake or dancing on ice whatever it might be but take some time to learn something every day but that's not where you stop the second thing is is then use that learning in some context so the example may be is is you've learned a wee bit about a bit of gear about running or you know an approach to maybe warming up before a a session or whatever it might be, practice that and and see how it goes. And then the third point, and this is the um, the really most important point after um, you've done that practice, is make some space to think about it because I think that's where a lot of what we've talked about comes from. So you take some time to think about and analyse the output of both the learning and the action and what that means and what you're going to choose to accept and discard from what you've learnt. And then the last Mm -hmm. one in all of this is, is... if appropriate and if possible, use what you've learned to teach others. Um, because the act of you having to teach, and you'll know, Paul, from what we do when we read, we, you know, this, the research and stuff we study to get ready for these podcasts, you have to actually then force yourself to consciously, critically evaluate the information you're about to share. 
so that you're not just becoming a um, a, a, a megaphone for some information, but rather you're yeah. actually sharing it with your own thoughts and your own your own take on it. And if people can do that, those four things every day, and it sounds a lot, but it's not really, because it might just be saying, oh, I read this thing in the paper and this is what it said, and you end up in a conversation about it. That's curiosity yeah. and vulnerability all coming together. So a nice wee clarion call for people to just think about that. What do, what do you think of that, Paul? I'll be taking some notes and I will do the same myself. I think it's quite important. Like for me, I've realised recently that if I don't feel at any point like I'm making some kind of progress, that's when I start to feel fed up and down and, and not motivated. And that's like maybe it's progress in my private life. It's maybe progress as an athlete and it's maybe progress as a business owner. And if I can find small ways like that, that I feel like at the end of the day, I've made some kind of progress today because we all have tough days, you know, we're in the office or you're working from home and you're on Zoom calls all day and you think, I don't feel like I've really taken a step on from where I was this morning. Yes, I've ticked off all those meetings, but if there's small ways like that, that you can genuinely demonstrate to yourself that you are making progress, I, th- I think it gives me a lot more energy and it gives me a lot more motivation going into the next day as well. So I'll definitely take some of that on board, James. Brilliant. And don't be scared to then share it as well. Like when you're, you know, you might share an article on social media or we regularly do on our coaching chats and stuff, with the, the, the group chats or, or what have you. Sharing that, sometimes you might not get a response, but it's the people you might not be getting a response from it's had the most profound impact on, which can be really, really interesting. And then the last thing, Paul, um, I, I meant to ask you this up front. How's the, um, how's the planning for exposure going? What's that looking like? Exposure is taking over my life, James. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, I have Karen to help. But uh, yeah, there's quite a lot of work involved. The numbers are getting better. We've got some good people signed up. We did our first uh, presentation last night. We did a Zoom seminar uh, just to give some people advice about the race and how to get ready for it and things to think about. So things like goal setting and try and identify what the performance limiters might be for you depending on what type of goal you've got going into the race and so it was really useful with a huge turnout last night on the zoom call which was great Uh, lots of excited faces i think and some people probably quite nervous about it it's really exciting and we've had lots of different uh, levels of athletes some doing the six hour james that have never run an ultra before which is fantastic i love when we get people involved in that way They've had quite a lot of uptake of people who want to do the 24-hour race as well. So um, I think people initially were maybe nervous about our race is going to go ahead and maybe races will all be live by the end of May and stuff. And um, I think people can see now that it might be slightly delayed. So uh, they're quite excited about the prospect of, of a live race experience, albeit virtually. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been good. It's been a good learning process and it looks like we've got a great bunch of people. Uh, really positive feedback last night and uh, we'll do another presentation for anyone who signed up uh, probably the week before the race, which we'll talk about um, just getting ready, things you can think about for um, making sure your kit's ready and you've thought about how best to use your home if you're heading home after every exposure. Um, things that you would normally do going into a race, James, for experienced people, you know looking at well when are the aid stations what's in the aid stations then you need to take advantage of of what you have around you in order for you to have the best possible performance so looking forward to doing a second call with people awesome i guess though um when you've got an aid station you tend to be shuffled in and out of that you know think about when you get to kinlock yeah. even in the west highland way they throw you on the scales then throw you out um uh-huh. that temptation of the couch and the bed at home um wonder how many, <laughs> how, i wonder how big a risk that is for people to succumb to that 
<laughs> I don't know. I never thought on that side of things. But yeah, I guess the guys doing the 12 and the 24 hour race, then they should be thinking about sleep at some point, potentially. Um, and, and maybe just having a, a, a plan that's quite adaptable, that if you get a short exposure and it's only a few miles, maybe that's your opportunity to get 10 or 20 minutes sleep maybe if you get a short exposure etc etc yeah if, that's yeah that, yeah uh, uh, that that is the word that dominates exposure for me i've had a couple of people ask me questions about it and i'm like you're going to have to be adaptable and agile and your mind's going to have to move with the times because you just don't know what's coming it's going to be good fun brilliant we could talk a wee bit more about that in a, a future episode i guess cool nice one okay i think we'll leave it there then james thank you so much for giving up your time to talk that was really insightful for me and hopefully for everyone who's listening uh, so thanks for listening and supporting us if you want to hear more then please subscribe leave us a comment and share it on social media we put a fair amount of time and effort into these uh, so just sharing our episodes or talking about them to friends or family or sending us a message really goes a long way in helping us to do more of them we'll be back soon with more in this series of the podcast where we'll talk further about the people the places the culture and the training behind our running lives i'm paul giblin and i'm james stewart and you've been listening to the pylon ultra pod boom before we finish just a quick thought from me Yes, most of us have been stuck in another extended lockdown and more than any other time over the last couple of years I've seen and I've heard from athletes who are struggling. Not because they can't get what they want, which is often to race, but that they are lacking control over their own choices, they're lonely or isolated and they are uncertain about the future. The trouble is, the types of people who make a commitment to running ultra endurance and long races are the very people that have trained themselves to deal with hardship and suffering by focusing on anything that keeps them in the race and in the hunt. But we should remember that this isn't a race we are in at the moment. There is no welcoming finish line. So it's actually okay to admit to yourself and people around you that things are pretty shitty and you're just not having a good time. We shouldn't always put a smile on our face and say, yeah, things could be worse, I'm doing fine. Try not to judge yourself for feeling how you do. Don't always say to yourself, well, there's people far worse off than me. Acknowledge how you feel. Burying feelings is never a long-term solution. You don't continue to train hard with a strained hamstring or a damaged ankle. Sometimes you need to feel it, accept it, talk about it, and when you're ready, work on a plan to make it better. That is all, my friends. Speak soon. Thanks for listening.